episode 6. folks and welcome again to the beneath the lamp podcast as always you can find us at beneaththelamp.com that hosts our blog and also the rest of our podcast episodes please check it out and if you would like those podcast episodes delivered directly to your device please go to beneaththelamp.com slash subscribe now let's get to our podcast episode where we continue talking about satire this time in books all right eric why don't we just start with start with yeah your thoughts yeah well okay um, well, uh, let's start with this. I've been in a real Camus phase lately, um, and I've been, I just ordered all of his books, but it's going to take Amazon like four months to get into me. So I'm reading what I've, what I can find on, online. And, uh, you know, it, it really seems like before say 1950 books were the satire basis and a lot of what we're going to deal with in movies and t- television shows and memes and whatever are the great great grandchildren of what people like Voltaire started. So, like Justin said, we've done a little bit of homework and tried to group a bunch of these books into uh, subsets to kind of help the discussion. But in a large sense, there is so much satire out there from years and years ago that it's it's tough to get your arm around it. Uh, when we were talking about books kind of offset, a couple of the ones I threw out there would be Kit Candide and Screw Tape Letters and uh, I think A Clockwork Orange. But maybe we should, do you think we should start with um, explaining our methodology here? I think that's kind of the way we've done things in the past and that probably is a good place to start. Um, did you want to go through the uh, the three different subsets of Absolutely. satire that we have? Sure. So, again, if you uh, refer to our last uh, cast on this topic, uh, s- satire casts a, f- a uh, fairly wide net. So we've tried to—we to, uh, got three, maybe four categories, and the first one is uh, dystopian or dark comedy. And um, as was kind of touched on last time— uh, s- satire and comedy are cousins. You can be s- satirical w- without being f- funny, but at least in my mind, most satire is somewhat hu- humorous. Um, then we have a situationist s- satire, which is very much where C- Camus would, would, would fall into with the idea that um, uh, life is just happening around you. You have zero accountability, um, almost an, an absurdist approach. And then I didn't come up with this term, but it's brilliant, the Horatian. And I'm just going to read our definition here. Satire in which the voice is indulgent, tolerant, amused, and witty. The, the speaker holds up to general ridicule the absurdities and follies of human beings aimed at producing the reader, not the a- anger of juvenile, but, but a wry smile. And this, I think, is what most people, if you ask the guy on the street, would consider to be satire. Anything from Mark Twain to Douglas Adams to The Simpsons. And then we haven't figured out where to put Animal Farm yet, but we'll we'll get to that. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, there's almost a whole form of, of, of a political satire that you know could be its own category, but that's uh, – who, who wants to talk so about that I right suppose now? So I suppose – Well – 
we're being satirical about sex. Uh, do you want to just start going through our ex- examples, or sh- should we discuss more of the big picture view? I think we start talking about the examples. I think that we'll be able to uh, touch on the big picture as we go through some of the okay. the titles. Well, let's that just start with dark here. comedy. Uh, I would think of the dark comedy satire par excellence as basically anything wrote written by Vonnegut. Um, his approach to life, his a- approach to writing is always very layered. And if you um, let me just let me quick while we're talking here, what would be what would people consider the best Vonnegut book? Uh, so I can talk about something that isn't completely off off the chart. Well, I, my favorite Vonnegut story is definitely Harrison Bergeron. And anybody who knows me will have heard me refer to it time and time again. But Harrison Bergeron is a story, a short story, uh, in which Vonnegut takes the idea of equality to its logical extreme, where smart people have to wear hats that play loud noises to to, to distract them every five seconds. Tall people have to wear weights to draw them down. And the idea is this this society where the idea of equality has been taken to the ridiculous extreme. And it's, for me, the strongest single argument against actual equality as opposed to potential or or legal equality. And it's, it's done through satire. Comments? No, no, no. I, 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 you know, I think it's, it's equality is there, but I mean, I, I always thought it was his take on egalitarianism, which is a distinction fair, almost without fair. a difference. But I think it's uh, important. And then, kind of in the same era, was a a Clockwork Orange, Anthony Burgess, which, um, if anybody hasn't read the book and seen the movie, you need to stop what what you're doing and and go do both, which is Vonnegut esque in its approach to things like thought control and humor and violence and 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 so on once again set against a very dystopian england of the 60s habitat and then the last example we have is breast is brett easton ellis's american psycho and i'm i'm a big ellis fan and i think most of his works could classified as somewhat satirical but american psycho definitely takes it over the top with the uh, pay end of violence. Um, and for anybody who hasn't read the book, it's brilliantly done how he'll take a chapter in which he dismembers somebody. And then the next chapter out of nowhere is a two or three page review of a Huey Lewis album. And the juxtaposition of kind of eighties consumerism and this ultra violent homicidal rage is extremely powerful. Thoughts, comments? Well, with American Psycho, I mean, you know, again, it was a commentary on on capitalism, but I'm I'm kind of interested in in his use of juxtaposition. So, I mean, he's, he's clearly claiming that uh, all Americans are psychotic in, in a lot of the ways that we um, are able to move, you know, in from, from serious topic and then back to uh, something, you know, like like an album review. I mean. We lived through the 80s. We weren't necessarily all um, understanding what was going on then. But uh, do we still see – I mean, are, are we still seeing some of that? I mean, it, it seems 
I don't know. I think there's a larger larger commentary there about um, humanity's ability to uh, basically be closet psychotics. And I don't think it was the 80s that did it. I think that's human nature that did it. Sure. And that's a, a real common theme in right. Ellis's books, and which I think is very relevant to the satire to discussion, is um, getting a human being whose individuality is being sucked away by the times or by his friends or by his or her relationships and, and, and so on. So I, I would, and I hope I'm being true to his, uh, his point of view, but I, I think one of the, the strongest takeaways from uh, American Psycho is the the de-individualism of 80s consumer culture, uh, where, uh, for, for instance, a very f- famous scene from the movie, which is a decent adaptation of, of the book, is where the characters are comparing their business cards. And uh, Patrick B- Bateman almost loses it because somebody else has a, a, a nicer card than him. And it's a, it's a very strong picture of the sublimation of the self to this to the business card, to the business community, to the business world. And it's it's not anti-capitalist, but it is anti-throwing yourself away in, uh, in the cause of greed is good. So listening in on this particular conversation, I'm kind of taking a backseat to it because you guys are more of the book people than I am. But it seems to me as though what you're really uh, talking about here so is – the the material for which satire is applied less about the style of satire used to uh, portray that that material. Well, I, I mean, the these are the three books that we're talking about, or maybe the, the three authors are completely different, and they are each using the dystopian dark comedy to make their points in completely different ways. Right. So I would I would agree, and I mean. I, I think from our first discussion, it's it's fairly clear that at least our position is that that satire is less uh, it's less an art than a tool of making a point, and so it can be done in different ways. And I mean, the the dark comedy and especially the the dystopian is it's it's a popular genre, um, but it's not something where uh, there is a I, I don't think there's a, a dystopian voice where all the books are written the same, thank God. Not sure I would I would agree with the with that summation of what we, we decided our position well, was. And that's to be honest. I mean, I think you could certainly say that about dark comedy. Uh, I, th- I think dark comedy does have a point. I think I think it is meant to to be positional. I think it is a message, but uh, situationist and Horatian style of satire to me is, is is an art form. Well, let's uh, let's let's use that to uh, segue to those two. Okay. Let's talk situationist. At least when we were putting this together, the the first satire I named was Candide by Voltaire, which is I think some would consider the father of of all satires. And is, I suppose, the par excellence of the situationist uh, per- perspective. But we're not in 17th century France, and it may not be as relevant to people. So, so let's talk Fight Club, which is a much more, at least to, I think, our, our society, uh, 
accessible book. And again, if you don't read the book, at least watch the movie. Um, but like American Psycho, it's a critique of consumer culture, but but presented in a completely different fa fashion, which may speak to what you just said, Chris. That yeah, was, and now that you say that, I'm actually seeing, I'm actually kind of musing to myself here that maybe it's a combination of both. Maybe it's the art form in which to convey a message that no one wants to hear. <laughs> well, which is, and it's something that I, I know we did t talk about, which is, I mean, it, 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 Satire can be used as a rhetorical technique rather than just saying I disagree with X is showing somebody why X is bad. And I do believe, uh, again, I mean, this, this isn't supposed to be a compare and contrast, but while ultimately Fight Club and American Psycho in many ways have their uh, – are aimed at the same foibles. They're done in, in such a completely different fa fashion. And then uh, one that I put, put on, on there, which is uh, Screwtape Letters, a, a, a great book by one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, and um, is a brilliant, brilliant book. And for those who haven't read it, Screwtape Letters is a uh, correspondence between a, a demon uh, kind of a trainer d demon and his trainee, and the uh, the youngling has been given a uh, Christian man to tempt, and the entire book is the older d demon giving techniques and methodology for how are you going to trip this this believer up, and it's a wonderful way for C.S. Lewis to communicate to the reader how not to act. And uh, you know, it, it doesn't relate to everybody, of course, and not everybody has to be religious to understand it. But to me, it's the very essence of, of satire in that it is it uses the plot and it uses the characterization to address these deep truths rather than simply saying, don't be a hypocrite. Instead, the book has screw tape advising Make sure to set this guy around hip, hip, hypocrites because that will weaken his faith. Uh, so then we, we're on to Horatian, which I think I said before is at least what I would guess most people would consider to be satire. And um, well, one of the books I think Justin suggested for this was uh, Highland Starship Tro Troopers, which I just read again last month, and I heartily agree that that Starship Troopers is a wonderful a, a example of, of satire, but I'm going to let Justin tell you why. <laughs> well, I haven't read it in some time, so uh, I, I just remember thinking uh, when I first read it that it was uh, it was a wonderful story of, of science fiction and, and you know, speculative fiction of what would happen if we were invaded by bugs. Um, but you know, the, the first time through, I completely missed the uh, the entire discussion. Or, or at least it was lost on me of what it, citizenship means and what it means to uh, to be part of, you know, I, I guess a, a government entity, uh, which it turns out was most of the point of the entire story. So yeah, my my first time through, it was just uh, a, a neat picture that it painted, and then it was later on um, I realized the, the the much deeper meaning behind it. Well, and I. I read it, and it was – I think it was about th three months ago, not one. I read it because I was um, having a talk with some high school students that I uh, 
coach for a constitutional government class. And the book came up, and I decided to read it because it's been years since I read it. What I found very interesting is reading about it. There's a class of people who actually fault Highland for being overly militaristic, um, which to me is a completely misread of the book. I mean the book is by telling the story of the violence that the humans have to endure to fight these bugs. It is obviously anti-militaristic, anti-fascist, and uh, it does a wonderful job of showing what constant war and constant hatred can do not, not only to a person but to a society. Uh, and with this, I would say, you know, watch the movie. The movie's not not bad, but please read the book. the 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 movie just it just it scratches the surface of the point that Heinlein's trying to make. And then, perhaps the most famous satirist of of them all is um, is a Mark Twain, uh, American uh, author. Well, I I don't need to give the by the bio, but the idea of Twain is Twain is famous for. He was somewhat political, but his, his, his satire had a little bit uh, softer of an, an, an approach. He, 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 sat, he satirized genres. He, sat, he satirized individual pe- people. And most um, Americans are, are familiar with some of his books like uh, Connecticut Yankee and Tom Sawyer and, and so on. But a lot of those books are satires of much less famous now books that were serious in the adventure or romance genres at the time, kind of this early pulp fiction that he satirized. And what what I find very funny is that his satires ended up being more famous than what what was being satirized. Like I said before, people want to be entertained. They don't want to have to think critically about stuff like this. (laughs) Which, and I don't, I don't, I don't have it handy, but I think that uh, Twain would have, uh, wholeheartedly uh, agreed with with you and would have shrugged his, shrugged his shoulders and say oh okay <laughs> you might you might call him the uh, father of satirical inception <laughs> it's true it's very satire true. within satire within and satire <laughs> if 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 he were alive right now i think he'd be bowing and i twain is one of those writers who i have begun to respect more and more the older and more cynical i get because if if you read about him, I th- I think he was a pretty decent down down to earth, happy per- person. But his he had such an an edge to his wit. I think the the older one gets, the more one a- appreciates the points he's he's trying to make. And as a kid, I read the the famous books Tom Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn, etc. And they're fun. Ad- adventure stories, but you you you're completely lost on the deeper picture, uh, and uh, so good for him. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would agree. Like I remember reading it in, in high school, a lot of those books, and thinking to myself, man, how does a man so masterfully convey just how ridiculous a, an <laughs> archetype can be without the archetype reading it, knowing right. that they're the focus of that ridicule. Exactly. And that's that's well put. We should have actually started with that because that's better than anything I've said so far. Uh, and then and said a lot. Well, there, yeah. then, of course, we've got some Douglas Adams. And if, if anybody hasn't read Douglas Adams, please do. 
Uh, so take what Chris just said about Mark Twain and 1800s of Americana and write it large to space and time. And there's your there's your Hitchhiker's Guide. Uh, either of you have, have anything to say about that? Oh, I love that book. I love the movie too, but I love the book. Which which movie? Hitchhiker. Oh, I forget. Yeah, the one with uh, Freeman in it. Okay, yeah, Not which I actually – I'm actually a big fan of that ad- adaptation. I think it's pretty true to the feel. And, of course, the book's be- better. But, uh, again, if you don't have time to read the book, at least watch the movie. And the last of the books that we have on our list is Orwell. And it's um, – t- our timing is good because I'm, re- I'm actually reading a, a book about the Spanish Civil War in which Orwell actually fought. And it was in m- many ways very uh, – it's – once you – read where Orwell came from, his, his writing makes even more sense. But Animal Farm and 1984 are both famously anti-authoritarian books, yet Orwell was a socialist. And it's really fun to read and understand that this was a very smart guy who was undergoing this constant flux, trying to put his square peg in his round, round hole. But Animal Farm, at, at least, is, for me, the ultimate anti-authoritarian book by essentially showing that all re- revolutions end up putting another yeah, power... Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. And, I mean, again, I don't want to get too far into the discussion of uh, it, it politically-based um, dystopias, but... Uh, you know, the, the genre is is rich, and while Orwell is probably the most known um, author here, I mean, there's there's, there's so, some other ones that we should probably mention since we went through three or four uh, authors in the other uh, categories. And so, I mean, you throw in Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, um, a lesser known book that uh, uh, I ran across twenty years ago. Now was uh, Zam Yatin's book We, which is fantastic. Uh, I would certainly suggest people interested in this uh, check that out. Um, I guess that kind of checks my list off. Eric, did you have any additional ones? Um, for well, yeah, and I I've got you covered some of the bit, big ones. I for me the list begins and ends with Orwell, and there are many other good good good, good ones. And in, in fact, even something like. Uh, like uh, Asimov's series, to touch on it, it's a lot of the, in my mind, and this may be showing my my bias, but a lot of the really good science fiction has a very large percentage of political satire in it. Okay, well, actually, uh, my favorite sci-fi series is Ian Banks' Culture series, which is just chock full of satire of modern political fi- figures put in a spaced out uh, opera form um, and I and you don't have to understand it or even appreciate it to still enjoy the books but I, I think and this is back from people like Vonnegut and Bradbury uh, uh, science fiction has always has this had this satirical edge to it that That's I true. find and, and, very even some of enjoyable. the the uh great science fiction writers that uh, don't make um, well, again, moving away from, from Orwell and Animal Farm and stuff, you know, they're not making the 
the political system the point of their book, but they still have really interesting commentary because every book that creates a world uh, outside of our own needs to have some sort of way that societies interact. And so you, you see these very rich, complicated, um, satirical depictions in books by, you know, Neil Stevenson, um, and Snow Crash or Absolutely. Diamond Age or I mean, really, really anything that he has done has its own, um, it, it, its own unique system uh, that uh, that uses satire um, almost in a again unique way for each book to uh, to analyze different aspects of uh, of this organization of people. Well, and I uh, both Justin and I love St- Stevenson, and it's one thing that we've t- talked about for, for 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 years. And I absolutely absolutely agree. And his, I often say that he picks a genre and Stevenson's it, because he just he's he's almost written in every genre, but he's able to give it his own twist. And part of his twist is this satirical I, I would agree angle 100%. to it. Um... Yeah, I and mean, I could go on about Stevenson for an entire episode, and you know maybe that's a good thing that we should uh, add to the list. Um, <laughs> but uh, is there anything else we'd like to say about uh, our specific topic at hand here um, with the the categories that we have? We're looks like around twenty five thirty minutes in, and if it's a good place to stop, we can do sure. that, or we can continue. So, any, Chris, you have anything? I mean, I'm I'm content and and whole with uh satire as a means to deal and bring a light to the topics that are important enough to discuss but that no one wants to well i'd just say um if anybody's got questions or wants uh recommendations for 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 books please let one of us know but i think that we've covered the basics and now uh, I think in the next few episodes we can open this up and go into more probably currently accessible visual me- media. Uh, and I think it's great that we've had this kind of basic primer on the books because I think we'll see these topics come back again and again, but writ on a much larger scale because, again, you've got sound. Well, and, and I think got, that uh, uh, you got just video. to end with that in mind – um, Mark Twain and our discussion on Twain is going to come back again and again as we get into more of the popular areas of, of satire, specifically what we're seeing today. I mean, when you were discussing Mark Twain, Eric, everything that was coming up into my head was um, it, topics dealing with The Simpsons or South Park or meme culture more generally. Um, you know, it's it, it, and again, I'm tied to what Chris said as well, where it, it's something that people can chuckle at and enjoy without having to think about the deeper, very much much deeper discussion on issues that are represented in, like in the case of memes, simple pictures and you know, seven or eight words. All right. Well, I guess that will Absolutely. do it for this episode. Thanks everyone for spending time with us and uh, stick around for further discussion on satire. Mm-hmm.